Good morning. Wasn't that amazing? It was an incredible weekend. And I'll tell you, now that we've been doing this seven years, it's become like a family reunion. We all get back together. One of the top things that people say when they come is they have the experience. And we put all this effort into speakers and giveaways and all sorts of things. And the number one thing people get out of it is experiencing that they're not alone. Yes. And it's kind of like one of our unshakable principles, right? Oh, absolutely. It's definitely wrapping God's family around these families, and you guys have been a part of that. And so many of you volunteered and served and made this possible. Yeah. It's an incredible weekend. Yes. So a fun thing that we get to do every year is we get to bring in speakers from all over, and a lot of times we get to share them with you this Sunday afternoon. This week is no different, and Derek's going to introduce you to our speaker here. Yes. So he's uh, our second-year re-speaker. Is that a word? Re-speaker? Yeah. Um, re. He spoke at re. And, but our first-year Westside Sunday speaker, he comes from Warsaw, Indiana. He's the teaching pastor at Mission Point Community Church. So I'd like you guys to give a big Westside welcome to Pastor Kondo Simfukwe. I am going to jump on a flight later this afternoon, go home, walk through the doors, and that is not going to be the reception I get. So I am <laughs> just going to bask in that for a couple of moments. Um, it's so good to be with you, Westside. What an incredible privilege. Um, man, the culture that this place oozes is just beyond beautiful, from humility to uh, excellence to generosity to this gospel-centered, biblically-based community longing to make a difference in the world around us, and that is impossible to miss. And let me just pause and say that because maybe you've been part of this church family for a while, and it's easy to take for granted the kind of house that you are a part of and the kind of impact that it's, it's making. And so as an outsider who's about to be adopted family here, let me just say it's, it's beautiful. So a privilege to be a part. And um, it's so great to be uh, a part of this masterpiece series that you're in. I feel a little bit guilty because uh, truth of the matter is, you know, Pastor Randy and Pastor JJ and Pastor Dan, they've done all of the heavy lifting and all of the uh, setting things up and painting a picture of the why. And then I get to sneak in at the end and just be like, yeah, what they said, and, and just do that, you know, by just telling a little story of part of my, um, my journey. I, uh, I love strange passages of Scripture, and uh, uh, this passage qualifies. Here it is, 1 Peter chapter 4. Here's what it says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, Whitney Houston, love each other deeply, he says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's so weird. Like, the Bible is so strange to me. Um, contrary to popular opinion, a time in history as we know it is not going to just keep on keeping on in perpetuity. It is on a shot clock. 
and that shot clock is counting down to zero. We know that is true, but only God has the privilege of seeing the numbers on the shot clock to know exactly when he will call time. But when he does, Jesus Christ in all of his glory is going to split the sky and he's going to return to our world and our time and in our space. And he's going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead. And at that point, time and history is going to be swallowed up into eternity. And Peter is reminding the church of this truth. The end is near, he says. Tick, tock, tick, tock. So in light of the fact that the end is nearing, Peter says, you guys ought to, you ought to ramp up the love and um, practice hospitality with one another. I'm like, that's weird to me. This is why I wish I was kind of like the PR manager for heaven. Like, listen, we could get the Bible trending a little bit more if you guys would just, I mean, this is the perfect time to capitalize on fear and say the world is ending. So y'all not bigger bunkers and higher walls and you've got to stock up so that you can be secure and you can be safe and just hunker down. Tick tock. Talk. Peter says the complete opposite. He's like, the end is near. Jesus is coming back. And what that ought to do in all of you is cause you to open the doors of your hearts and your homes even wider. That's weird. The kingdom of God is so upside down in comparison to our culture. Uh, the word hospitality is a word that carries with it the idea of um, taking on or taking in a stranger. Uh, the not-so-subtle implication is that said stranger is in need. They're experiencing some kind of vulnerability, hopelessness, helplessness, hurt, hunger, whatever it might be. So, biblical hospitality means to take on or to take in the vulnerable person, the person in need. The world is ending. So the church ought to figure out ways to take on and take in the most vulnerable in need. And it's interesting, he says, and do this without grumbling or without complaining, meaning the church leaders shouldn't have to twist your arm. You should be looking for every excuse to step into the stories of vulnerable and people in need and show them hospitality. I love that word. And I think one of the reasons I love that word is because of how it has shaped my personal story. When I was 17 years old, I graduated from a small high school in Zambia, South Central Africa, and um, <clears throat> didn't have much time to celebrate that accomplishment before the reality dawned on me. My future is ominous. My options are gone. At that particular point in time, there were two universities in Zambia. And in order to get a spot in one of those universities, woo, you either had to have impeccable grades, your family had to have an exorbitant amount of money, or you just had to know someone who knew someone who knew the president. 
And even if you happen to get a spot in one of those universities, teachers were constantly on strike. And the likelihood of you actually graduating was low. But even if you made it through those odds and you actually graduated, the market for jobs was just iffy at best. And as a 17-year-old, I remember that dawning on me that I am now prone to just be another statistic in the third world Africa trying to scrape by and make ends meet and stave off poverty for as long as I could. Because at that point in time, my parents made a combined annual salary of about $2,000 a year. We lived on a latte as a family a day. Uh, I don't mean your lattes. Your lattes are free, but um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't even try it. What he said, like, mm-mm. Um, we didn't know anyone who knew anyone who knew the president. And my grades, okay, my grades are none of your business. Um, <laughs> that has nothing to do with the point of this story. Um, what you need to know is my options were done. And as a 17-year-old, the reality of a bleak and ominous future dawned on me. So I did the only thing a helpless 17-year-old kid knew what to do in a third-world country at the time. I fell on my knees, and I pleaded with the God who makes presidents. Would you please open a door to my future so I can go to college beyond our family's ability to provide? Would you please do the miraculous and bring resources that we just do not have? And God in his grace said, sure. I remember getting the very distinct sense that the Lord was going to open a door for me to go to college in the United States of America. I was young enough to believe him, and I was naive enough to share that with my family. Woohoo! They had a laugh at my expense. They're like, uh, do a 360, buddy. Look around. The train stops here. This is just not in the cards for you. But that's super cute, though. Um, something stirred, the spirit stirred in my dad, and my dad said, well, if you really believe this, then I'm going to stand with you, and we're going to take this risk and hope it works out. So he borrowed a year's worth of his salary to purchase an airline ticket to send me to the United States of America on a six-month visa, like sink or swim. I happened to have an aunt who lived in Ohio on a crazy scholarship at the time, so I bunked with her for a little while. No sooner had I gotten to the United States of America than I got my first phone call. On the other end of the line was a man who introduced himself as Russ Yoder. I'm Russ Yoder. I'm like, hey, Russ. I said, man, I just got back from Zambia. I said, what? When did you go? He said, September the 15th. I'm like, I came on September the 15th. I wonder if our planes clipped wings in the air. Um, and then he said, while I was there, I got to meet your parents. And they told me, we just sent our son to the United States of America. And I told them, I'm from the United States of America. Where? Ohio. I'm from Ohio. Where in Ohio? Like Ashland. Okay, I'm not from Ashland, but Worcester is 20 minutes away. So I'm coming to pick you up to meet my family. And y'all, I'm not kidding when I tell you that this crazy white family, like they took in this strange Zambian kid that they did not know, and they made me a part of their family. Kondo Yoder Simfukwe. <laughs> Woo! That is where I learned, by the way, the art of overeating at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Don't judge me. It's what the pilgrims would want. Um, 
It's the first time in my life that I saw a gift with my name on it under a Christmas tree. As the Yoders took me in. I didn't live with them, but I was constantly at their house as a part of their family. At one point, Russ Yoder uh, decided to take me to go and visit um, a college that was connected to the church that he attended in a little podunk town in Indiana called Winona Lake. And this college, Grace College, we arrived, and I remember walking in and giving the most compelling speech to the director of admission and telling him, I really want to go to college here, you know, and uh, it's like, great. So about the money, I'm like, yeah, that's the thing, bro. Um, and so I left. Two months later, right as my visa was running out, he sent me an email. Um, and now it's probably not an email at that time. It was probably actual mail mail. Um, and it said, Kondo, we would love to make it possible for you to come to college here. And we have done everything to take on the responsibility of making that a reality. I was blown away. Apparently there was an elderly lady who thought it was a good idea to take on the financial burden to provide an education for a kid from Africa that she had never met. And I've never met her because she insisted on anonymity. Wow, this is a true story. One of the ways that they were going to make it possible for me to go to college at Grace was by putting out an announcement to all of the churches in Podunk, Indiana, small town Winona Lake. And the announcement read, <clears throat> it said, African student in need of housing. <laughs> what? Who in their right minds is going to see something like that and like agree to, to take in a potentially spear-wielding like kid. That, the stereotypes were really bad back then. They're so much better now. <laughs> like there is no one who would be crazy enough to do that. No one except Don and Elizabeth running. A couple in their mid-30s who homeschooled four kids. The youngest, I think, was maybe four at the time. They read this and something in their spirit stirred. We've seen in the Bible something about strangers in need. And so let's open the doors of our home. And they took me in. I'm not even kidding you. When I got there, I could still smell sawdust in the air. Don, the man of the house during his spare time, went downstairs and he built me a room in the basement. The first time I'd ever had a room to myself. The runnings took me in. Kondo, Yoder, running, Simfukwe. It was there that I learned to love a good Caesar salad. Because Elizabeth could whip up a mean one. It was there that I learned to love the quiet of country living. And um, unbeknownst to me, it was there that as we played games around the table, I was interviewing my future flower girl, Anna, who I just spoke to a few days ago. I'm just trying to tell you, mine is a story of people who practiced hospitality by taking on or taking in this 
stranger in need, not because they felt like they had all of this excess, not because they felt like they were specially equipped, not because they felt like they were ready and trained and felt 100%, but because they saw somewhere in the Bible where it said the end is near, and can we practice this without making excuses? And they said yes. And because they said yes, the ominous cloud on my future was lifted. The bleak options all of a sudden cleared. I ended up going to college um, at Grace, and I graduated, got carried away, stayed for seminary, and got called into vocational ministry. And so right now, as you heard, I get to lead a church in Podunk, Indiana. And the central anthem of our church is we will take in and take on the most vulnerable of populations, especially kids. I dare you to come and visit and go into our kids wing and see if you can figure out which color kid goes with which family because uh, we don't know so much of it has come through adoption and foster care and kinship placements. Um, and oh, because of uh, Grace College and the Yoders and the Mystery Woman and the Runnings, I got to meet my delectable vanilla frappuccino flavored <laughs> wife. Uh, <laughs> Melissa, my wife of almost 24. Five years. Woo! Um, and uh, my wife and I, we've uh, gotten jiggy on occasion. Uh, listen, I'm trying to be delicate. It's mixed company student section. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a guest in this house. I might want to come back at some point. But anyway, we together um, produced... Two very caramel frappuccino-flavored kids, uh, Judah and Jael. Here they are. Judah is 20 um, years old, going on player. And um, over there to the left, that is um, Queen of Sass. Drama, my greatest prayer request. Um, <laughs> my 18-year-old daughter, Jael. Uh, what, you guys are on Vimeo. You're not on TikTok, right? Good, she'll never see this. Um, so... <laughs> Um, this is my, this is my family. Now, do I put this picture up here just to brag on how beautiful my people are? Yes, yes. But, <laughs> but also, I put this picture up here to say to all of you, there is not a chance in the world, not a chance, that Russ and Becky Yoder, Don and Elizabeth running, Grace College, or the mystery elderly woman had any idea that their simple yes of hospitality would paint a future that looked like that. They had no idea that their small yes was opening doors and investing in that. No way. Oh, and I also put this picture up there to say to all of y'all, thank you. Thank you for this. No, you had nothing to do with this. No. <laughs> Thank you for the stories and the futures that your yeses are going to shape. Thank you in advance for the ways that your yeses, even in this Masterpiece series, the ways that your yeses, even on this Impact Sunday, the ways that your, your, your yeses with one life are going to make a difference in the stories just like 
mind. Not because you feel ready, not because you feel overly equipped, not because you feel like, man, we're especially trained, not because you feel like you have a unique calling on your life, but because you've listened to the fact that you are masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do some pretty incredible things. Because you've heard about love that gets low and serves. Because the end is near and hospitality is the calling to the church. Thank you. Thank you on behalf of the difference that you're going to make through your generosity. Thank you on behalf of the difference you're making in this community and in Southeast Asia and in South Africa and in India and around the world. Thank you on behalf of every kid who may never have the opportunity to tell you in person, it makes a difference in shaping futures and changing trajectories. And for some of you who've been on the fence, like, should we go and sponsor a kid? Can I just say thank you in advance for the fact that you are saying yes right now? It makes an incredible difference. And you may never hear it or you might not hear it enough. So can I please say it loudly and clearly? Thank you. So about 2013, a co-worker came into my office very sheepishly, very suspicious looking, um, and said to me, all right, this is weird, I feel awkward, but I had a dream, and you were part of that dream, and I cannot shake the dream, so I feel like I'm supposed to tell it to you. I'm like, color me curious, you know, um, and she started to describe uh, this dream to me. In this dream, I saw you, and in the dream, you were sitting with a little girl, like a chocolate frappuccino flavored girl um and um, I don't remember all of the details, but she was sitting with you and she was wearing the cutest floral pattern dress and her hair was all did with little bow ties in it. And I knew for sure that she was sassy and I knew for sure that she felt safe with you and you loved her deeply. And oh, her name was Sydney or something like it. Okay, bye. And then she left. Immediately she told me that dream, I knew God was saying, your turn, buddy. Time for you to open the doors of your heart and your home. Problem, my wife was an accountant, um, <laughs> a.k.a. the practical wing of our family. I'm like, this is not going to fly because this is far from practical. I had a dream, right? Um, so I go home and I tell my wife the whole thing. And when I'm done, she sighs. <gasps> and then she says, the last thing we need in our home is one more sassy girl. Because she knew the exact thing I knew that we were supposed to go and find and open our uh, home to a little chocolate flavored frappuccino named Sydney or something like it. But where do we begin? We didn't know. And if I had time, I'll tell you all of the ways that God did some pretty incredible things. Our co-worker was telling a family member about the dream. And the family member just left the table and then came back about 15 minutes later and said, when you were talking about that little girl, reminded us of a little girl that we met when we were at an orphanage in Haiti and we fell in love with her and I wondered if it was her, but her her name wasn't Sydney, but I recently heard that the, the nannies changed her name, so I went to find out what her name was, and you never guess what her name was. My coworker friend is saying, like, Sydney? She's like, no. <laughs> kind of Haitian name is Sydney. <laughs> it's Sin Z. But I can see how Podunk, Indiana, you'd be like, and her name was Sydney, you know. Um, <laughs> 
And man, that started us on the most epic adventure of our lives. And I wish I could convince you. Stop being boring. Stop sitting on the edge, on the shore, talking about, I wish I saw God move more. Why does God move in those parts of the world? Try saying a risky, messy yes to him and watch the way he steps into your story. Because woo-wee, he started moving every legal obstacle. We're like, we didn't know God rolled like this. And it went from, I don't know, we called the, the orphanage. Like, we don't know how you heard about this girl. Stalkers. And uh, we can tell you for sure that she is not adoptable, even if she is here. And it went from she's not adoptable to we got a call a few days later saying to us, okay, let's assume she is adoptable. Would you be willing to adopt her sister as well? And then we got another call saying, would you be willing to adopt a third sister? Because apparently in the process, we found out that she had two sisters and none of them had met each other. And they are now brought together. Would you take all three of them? And we were like, yes. We didn't know better at the time. We said, yes. Crazy, messy, risky, yes, we said, oh, man, and God just started to flex. He just started to show off his refusal to be outgiven by anybody. The more stuff we sold to make provision for this, God backed up the dump truck of provision from heaven into our yard, and it was crazy, y'all. At one point, somebody said, that house is just not going to be big enough. We're going to buy you a new one. Uh, and then somebody said, like, you guys are going to need three rows. We're going to buy you a new car. And God is just blowing our minds. We're driving around town, and people are looking at us like, I think this pastor is a drug dealer. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying life is exciting on the other side of a yes. Um, man, four years later, we brought our little chocolate frappuccino-flavored daughters home. Here they are um, on the screen. I know. Now, do I put this picture up here to show you how absolutely adorable they are? Yes, but also <laughs> because I wanted you to see the floral patterned dresses and the hair did with the bow ties. When he calls you into an adventure, say yes, y'all. Say yes. Here's a picture of our whole gang together more recently. I promise you, Russ and Becky Yoder, Don and Elizabeth running, mystery elderly woman, Grace College, when they said their simple yes of hospitality, they had no earthly idea that they were sowing into the story of three chocolate frappuccino flavored girls on the other side of the world whose story and future would be forever changed because of a simple yes that they said. Thank you for stories just like this that your yeses are going to tell. Thank you for emptying the table of every child who needs sponsored. Thank you for those of you who will say yes to adoption. And you came into this weekend being like, adoption, that is not for us. We don't feel trained. And the Spirit of God will say, new adventure, say yes. But that's not going to be everybody. Foster care is not going to be everybody. For some of you, it's just going to be the simple yes of saying, I'm going to go to the Explore Impact lunch and learn a little bit more today. 
For some of you, you're going to say, I'm going to start giving more generously to fuel the mission of this church to impact the community and the world around us. But we cannot sit on the shore on the edges. We have got to open up our homes and open up our hearts and start saying, yes, y'all are poised to change the trajectories of so many stories forever and ever and ever. And oh, before I leave, let me say one more thing. Most importantly, when you start to say yes to hospitality and you start to open up your hearts and open up your homes, it starts to paint a picture to the world around you of the king of hospitality, our father God himself, who saw us in our vulnerable need, in our sin, and he didn't just stand on the shores. Or he stepped into our stories at great risk and great cost to himself. He sent his son down, opening up the heavens and even opening up the body of his son. And the picture of Jesus on the cross with arms stretched wide, almost as his way of saying, the doors are wide open. We will take you. In. And I don't know if you can smell the sawdust in the air even now because he is preparing a place just for you. And I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm not necessarily talking about Caesar salad, but he is preparing a feast for all of us. And whenever we step out in hospitality, we help to paint a picture of a father who is hospitable. And the gospel starts to become so clear to the people in our world. And come on, if God has done that for us in hospitality, what kind of response should we have if not to say, our turn? To be to the world what he has been to us. Not so that he would do something, as you've heard, but because of what he has done in our lives. How can we do anything less than say yes to being hospitable to the people in the world around us? And heaven is leaning over the balcony, cheering for Westside. What you are doing and what you will continue to do and the yeses that will rise up out of this place giving glory to God in his son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, thank you that you are the king of hospitality. Thank you for the ways that you've invited us and included us into your family and into your story at great cost to yourself. And help us be the kinds of people who are prepared for your return by living the way you live and loving the way you love the last, the lost, and the least. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Condell. Today, we have several ways that you can say yes. So, what is that going to look like for you? Um, after our third service, we have our annual Explore Impact Lunch. Yes, there will be food. Um, we also bring in our community partners, and you're able to visit with them and see how Westside has been partnering and engaging with our partners in the past and, and how, that, how you can be involved in that as well. We'll also have our global team there talking about ways that you can go um, overseas to engage with our global partners. And they'll also be talking about One Life. And um, Kondo mentioned this. One Life is a program that Westside's been involved in for 15 years. And uh, it's our own homegrown child sponsorship program. 
And we have 32 kids that need a family to wrap around that child. And um, you can go right outside to the little impact cubby that we've got there right next to the cafe and meet up with some of our team and talk about what that would look like for you. Um, we, would, we need to get these kids sponsored. Um, we're, we're opening up a new site in India in April, and um, we, need, we need families to come alongside. One last thing, we're having a food drive. You can pick up a bag outside and uh, fill that thing up and bring it back in the next couple of weeks and um, help with feeding some vulnerable people here in Kansas City. So with that, would you guys stand and um, as we finish up with some worship? <laughs> 